From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader. All right, welcome back to the OCFA Pass Along Podcast. Uh, today we're gonna talk to uh, Fire Captain Dave Rich and Battalion Chief Steve Pardee about an incident that they had in September where they encountered a uh, Tesla that was on fire and uh, that stubborn thing just didn't wanna go out. It had the look of a chemical fire. It, it was obviously not ordinary combustibles we were dealing with, but it did not have the look of a combustible metal fire. It was an orange flame, it was a jet-like uh, flame coming out of the driver's side portion of the vehicle just ahead of the rear driver's side tire. All right, but before we get to that, let's go over a few news and noteworthy items. Uh, this will be the last time, I promise, double promise, pinky promise for a while, uh, that I won't bring up the best and bravest. But as you know, I've kind of been harping on this the last couple uh, podcasts. And really, it's um, the whole idea is just to put in the names of those folks, nominate those folks who you think are going above and beyond on a regular basis uh, so we can put them into our Best and Bravest program, which uh, I'll give you a shameless plug for it. It's coming up Friday, February 23rd at uh, the Pacific Hills Bistro down in Laguna Hills. It's, uh, it's a new venue for us. Uh, I was looking at it and uh, pretty nice. Uh, it's down near the uh, DMV off of a Moulton and Ridge Route area in uh, Laguna Hills. So uh, we just want to honor those who uh, go above and beyond for this uh, amazing agency uh, on a regular basis. So please uh, get those nominations in. All right, congratulations to our new Division Chief, Rob Capobianco. Uh, he'll be replacing retiring Division Chief John Abel in Division Three, uh, coming up here in December. I uh, just want to use this opportunity to uh, congratulate John on an amazing career. Um, I can think back many years ago into the uh, early late 80s and early 90s when uh, I was uh, trying to get on the fire department and John's uh, career was spooling up and uh, he's just been such an amazing uh, leader and uh, friend and colleague uh, through the years and just done a lot of amazing work and we're we're very thankful uh, for John's service um, so we wish him well in retirement coming up here in the new year and for Capo uh, or I should say division chief uh, Capo Bianco um, also a, uh, another great man and, and uh, just a neat guy, a neat leader as well, and personal friend uh, who we're incredibly proud of and excited about his leadership uh, stepping in behind John. Obviously some big shoes to fill, there's gonna be a little overlap there. So uh, before, uh, which is traditional at the division chief uh, rank, before uh, John uh, ushers into retirement, uh, Rob's gonna step in there and do some shadowing and knowledge transfer that I think will be really helpful. And then into investigations, um, Shane Sherwood is gonna step in and replace Rob as the investigations BC. Uh, Shane, as you'll recall, uh, some years ago was an investigator uh, and that the linkage between actually being an investigator and then being the supervisor in the investigation section um, is super helpful. And so uh, really thankful for Shane stepping into that role. Um, he didn't get quite a full year in operations, uh, but uh, sometimes that's the way things go in the fire authority. Maybe not ideal, um, but uh, we really appreciate, Shane, your flexibility and uh, his willingness to step into that role. So thanks, and uh, more good things ahead, uh, and some other retirements, too, we'll be talking about in the near future. All right, uh, let's move on to Academy 45. Uh, they've just got about a month or so left in their 16-week academy before they move on and graduate on December 20th. Uh, they've been working hard lately, uh, just did some great multi-company drills uh, this last weekend, Truck Academy, uh, this week Auto X, uh, Rick Under Fire at Ben Clark in Riverside coming up. And uh, we're just so proud of everything they've accomplished and uh, it's always a neat uh, opportunity as a family 
uh, to welcome them into our uh, official OCFA Fire family coming up here on uh, December 20th. So make sure to set the, that on your calendars if you want to attend. All right, that's all for news and noteworthy items. Let's move on to our feature segment where we uh, talk to Incident Commander Battalion Chief Steve Pardee and first on scene Captain Dave Rich about uh, that call involving the uh, burning Tesla. Um, and uh, so please, uh, let's jump in there, take a listen to what they went through and, and try to learn from uh, some of the lessons that, that they walked through. And, um, you know, it's one of those things in, in, in using the podcast to share lessons learned. Uh, it's just another way to train. And so, again, just want to say thank you for the multimedia folk for putting this together. And um, for those of you who are out there that have unique calls, please bring those to our attention. Uh, bring them up to uh, Kevin, and uh, we'll see about getting them included in the podcast as well to maximize our training. So, all right, with that, let's go to our featured segment. The call from the get-go was very dynamic. We got initially dispatched as a vehicle into a structure uh, shortly after 6 o'clock in the evening. Uh, responding with that set of responding units, uh, we got the update that it was in fact a vehicle in the building per the sheriffs and that the, both the building and the vehicle were on fire at that time. When we did get there, it was well established into the garage. There was a lot of uh, factors going on. Luckily, the occupants were able to extricate themselves, so we were able to get them treated and transported quickly. That was one of the good things. The guys did a great job. And the vehicle that impacted the house happened to be a Tesla. The impact struck the front of the garage of a single story, single family dwelling, and it took out the post between the uh, single portion, single car portion of the garage and the two car portion of the garage and lodged the vehicle into the garage completely. It was all the way into the garage. The doors were obviously damaged and off their hinges. They were roll up doors and they were laying on top of the burning vehicles in the garage. So right away, it was obvious that there was structural damage to the header and the post that was holding up the front of the garage. Having the uh, front of the garage compromised, we couldn't go in and fight fire like we normally would. So, uh, and there was also some void spaces up, in, up above the garage that made it difficult to access. And they were kind of shut off, so they, it had burned through that and it got into those areas. And so we thought we were losing the fire into the main house. As the firefighting effort progressed, uh, I didn't allow uh, the resources to get inside the garage because of the structural damage and the compromise of that and even held the truck company back from the roof uh, over the garage so that they weren't operating over an unsupported roof. That led to an additional firefighting problem because there was a false dormer built on top of the garage where the, the garage ridge and the two hips met right directly above where the fire was and it created a pocket of, um, I wouldn't call it hidden fire because we knew it was there, it was just inaccessible fire. So we had a hard time accessing it to extinguish it. It continued to, to be an issue just because we couldn't get the right angle to get into it. The truck companies initiated some ventilation efforts and some access effort from the top to try to get to that inaccessible portion of the fire, but that was delayed by the structural problems. Um, while that was going on, the fire continued to build and eventually, started a, a, an additional collapse of the roof structure because of the members being compromised. After the fire was knocked down initially, we knew that we were gonna have to get into the garage and overhaul it. Uh, what I ended up ordering early uh, in the incident was Heavy Rescue 6. Obviously, they bring a lot of capabilities as far as shoring goes. They also were the key factor in pulling the, the Tesla out of the involved garage eventually. We placed it at the um, lower right portion of the driveway away from any other exposures. At that point, 
it looked like an ordinary vehicle fire. There was scorch paint. Um, There's obviously some burning. M much of the vehicle was missing only because of the, the physical damage that had occurred to the Tesla on the way into the garage. Uh, it appeared to have been a very high speed collision and much of the car was damaged. The car was sitting on the driveway without its wheels, uh, pretty much flat on the driveway at that point. Uh, some period of time, 45 minutes to an hour after the initial knockdown and removal of the vehicle, uh, we noticed the vehicle beginning to off gas in a very, uh, a very distinct, um, heavy looking, uh, almost like a fog-like smoke began emitting from the car. One thing to realize is there was catastrophic failure to the battery cell of the Tesla. Um, it was traveling a high rate of speed, went off the, the road into a culvert and got launched into the garage. So there was, you know, there was those little um, lithium ion batteries all over the place. So th that, that caught on fire, it got really hot. So it was, it was like an exothermic reaction. So water wasn't really doing much. Um, we weren't really sure what to do at this point. It was like, uh, you know, you, don't, you never want to not want to have a plan uh, when, you're, when you're taking care of these things. Um, someone got on their phone and actually looked up on the guide, uh, Tesla, um, on their website about first responders. And so there were two options. They said you can either put it out with water or you can let it burn. So the, the smoke that was coming from this was extremely toxic. Um, it was in a, you know, kind of a, a, a smaller neighborhood. So we, we didn't want to do that. We, got a couple of hand lines and got a very high G GPMs for about an hour and a half. Finally, it went out. It had the look of a chemical fire. It, it was obviously not ordinary combustibles we were dealing with, but it did not have the look of a combustible metal fire. It was an orange flame. It was a jet-like uh, flame coming out of the driver's side portion of the vehicle just ahead of the rear driver's side tire. Eventually, we settled on the, the theory of um, high gallonage, uh, copious amounts of water delivered over a period of time to, to um, lower the BTU production of the, of the vehicle and cool it to a point where we could maybe stop the continuing reactions that were going on. We eventually put two preconnects in service along with a two and a half, uh, dial in the, the preconnects up to 200 GPM, trying to, uh, to deliver approximately 650 GPM. That lasted for uh, no less than 30 minutes and probably closer to 40 to 45 minutes of effort before we finally got the vehicle cooled down enough where the flame disappeared and the smoke production had ceased. At that point, uh, we decided to engage the Tr Heavy Rescue 6 folks again to lift the vehicle off the ground and block it up so that we had better access to the underside of the vehicle. All of the fire appeared to be involving the undercarriage of the vehicle and the, the uh, battery assembly that makes up the floor of these vehicles. Um, after doing further research, we did in fact confirm that's where the high energy battery is. The high voltage batteries in these vehicles are the floor systems in these, tes in these Teslas. At that point, the car sat in, an, in what I would call an inert condition for over an hour. When the skid steer got there, we began to develop a plan for overhauling the garage. The sheriffs had already indicated that they wanted the Tesla for evidence. Uh, pending any criminal investigation revol uh, involving this incident. So the plan was to move the Tesla and what was left of it out onto the street so a tow truck could come get it. Uh, our operator took care of that for us with the skid steer and relocated it with no indication that anything was going on with the vehicle. No smoldering, no smoke, no nothing. A few hours later when we were moving the car, when the tow truck came, 
I think just the tilting of the flatbed and putting the car up on the flatbed caused it to burn again. So we're like, oh no, here we go again. But we were able to get that out fairly quickly. The advantage we had this time was it was already lifted and we asked the tow truck driver to slide it back on the flatbed and actually tilt it nose down so we had access to the bottom of the vehicle. We used a couple pre-connects again, um, large amounts of water. This time we didn't let it get to the state where it was continually uh, running away thermally. We actually stopped the fire within probably another 10 to 15 minutes at that point, possibly 20. Uh, once we got a knockdown, reloaded it back on the flatbed and I began asking the tow truck driver what his plan with the vehicle was, expressing my concern that there might be a reignition again. Um, he, he assured me they were going to take it to an open space. It was going to be impounded and it would be in their, their impound yard, but he was going to put it in a, in a clear space uh, with no other exposures around it. I think the main thing is that um, you need to cool it. You need to get a lot of water on there. And so that's one of the, 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 the points that I took away from this is I've never really experienced this before. There's been in the old school there, or the old days, there's been the magnesium engine blocks on Volkswagens and they would burn really hot. And so you'd have to put a lot of water on those. Well, this technology has been around, you know, electronic, electric cars have been around for a while. So the technology has been there, but you really have to have a plan for water when you come on these things, no matter where you're at, it could have happened on a freeway. So what are you going to do? You're going to have a water shuttle operation. You're going to have a water tender. You need to be thinking about that stuff because you just never know. And if, you know, if car rolls end over end, there's going to be a good chance that there could be catastrophic failure to the battery cell. As part of the follow-up of the incident, um, immediately I went back to the station and I started doing some research because quite frankly, I was embarrassed uh, for my lack of experience and knowledge with this vehicle. Uh, we've all heard that, the, that there is information out there and we've all been to classes to take a look at these vehicles, mainly when we're talking about uh, cut and rescues and other things like that where we're actually doing physical work on the vehicle. But I had never dealt with a fire uh, involving one of these types of vehicles. I've sent out a lot of, lot of things to people in the battalion that were, were, were curious, but if anybody wants to just look on their own, go to Tesla's website. They have their first responder's guide to this. On one of the pages, on page 21, it talks about firefighting in particular, and it describes many of the events that we experienced. And it, having known that, I probably would have been a little better armed for the continual firefight and knowing that copious amounts of water were the only, was the only extinguishing agent that was gonna make a difference in this case. In fact, it directly warns responders not to use small amounts of water. So if you're faced with it, be prepared for that water supply issue. Make sure you have a patent water supply and you can deliver enough GPM to influence your fire. Uh, they talk about, they also talk about in that same uh, emergency response guide, the time periods of reignition of up to an hour of monitoring. And once you've monitored it and actually checked it with a thermal imaging camera is what they suggest, is to continue to monitor it because the fires may burn for up to 24 hours per the Tesla guideline. I know that there's been a lot of interest in this. The National Transportation Safety Board has contacted Chief Pardee and talked to him about that. He had some questions uh, related to the timeline of our extinguishment and reignition phenomenon. What he had mentioned was that um, the, the design of this large battery pack that makes up the floor of the vehicle is it's made up of many small cells and we actually saw a lot of those cells. They're about the diameter of a C battery and about the length of uh, maybe two C batteries stacked on top of each other. And those are scattered at the scene. Those cells make up these larger battery packs 
each of those battery packs is segmented away from each other with a product that is supposed to uh, contain thermal runaway so that it, if one uh, pack of cells is damaged or destroyed or begins a thermal meltdown, it won't continue on with, with successive battery packs. Uh, the vehicle involved in this incident was obviously physically damaged and I think that changes the, the conditions you're dealing with. It's, it wasn't designed to be twisted, broken, and cracked. So obviously all bets are off at that point as far as how the vehicle is going to behave and, and that uh, self-extinguishment process wasn't going to happen for us. The NTSB had a lot of facts that, that they were bringing to the table that had come directly from Tesla and their research with Tesla on vehicles like this and these types of incidents. It's a newer vehicle. It's a new uh, phenomenon that we're likely to face, uh, no different than the changes in structural firefighting that we've all experienced, uh, being it the, the building materials, uh, the furnishings that are inside structures. This is the same thing. It's just a different kind of vehicle constructed in a different way constructed of different material. So the NTSB has a lot of, of interest in coming up with solutions so that first responders have good solid guidelines to avoid any further damage or trouble down the road. Uh, I would definitely caution any incident commander, captain, battalion chief that deals with one of these things to expect that reignition phenomenon to continue. And in fact, in the Tesla guide, they talk about up to an hour of monitoring the vehicle after it's been extinguished. And that's certainly what we experienced out there on our incident was it, it did reignite after an hour and or right around that hour mark. I have to admit, I wasn't timing it because I, wanted, I was not expecting it. But it was pretty early on where someone, you know, we did notice that, okay, this is an electric car and the way it was burning and it wasn't going out was something that kind of caught everyone's, you know, eye pretty, pretty, pretty soon but early in the incident, but um, I think, you know, once the main fire was out in the garage and it was kept reigniting, that's when we started to think, okay, you know, at least we got the, the house fire out, so what are we gonna do now? So, um, yeah, I, definitely in the future, it would be something to, to think about, any electric car, I mean, no matter what, what kind of, you know, if it's a Chevy Volt or a Tesla or, or a Prius or whatever, so. In further discussion with uh, the NTSB investigator, he was explaining that the Tesla battery packs uh, they're high energy battery packs. They're designed to release their energy over a short period of time, which gives the performance that Tesla owners are looking for. Uh, most of the other electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles don't have that same kind of discharge capability. Their batteries are built differently, they're configured differently, and they're going to release their energy in a different format. According to the NTSB, those vehicles won't experience similar problems to the Tesla they will extinguish more readily and stay extinguished more likely. I'll tell you, the, the, the flaming, or actually it was the, the off-gassing was so obviously not normal and not from what you would typically see. It, it sat very low to the ground. It looked much more like uh, uh, fog or a dry ice um, block, you know, off-gassing until it built up enough thermal energy that it actually ignited. Uh, and it definitely was an eye-opener. Uh, we were very concerned about, um, obviously, protecting everyone's uh, airway and breathing. Uh, so everyone stayed in BAs, breathing apparatus, longer than you would typically have experienced, probably. We swapped out everyone's turnouts that was exposed to the vehicle. Um, that night, the service center was outstanding at helping us get that accomplished 
quickly. Um, and then just the lingering concern that the vehicle may reignite once it got to the yard. I even alerted ECC that if there's a vehicle fire in 19's area, it's likely related to this, and I was asking to be put on it. One of the captains on scene, uh, Captain Ducci was there from Truck 9. We had a short discussion about the potential for needing hazmat. Um, it, it didn't appear that it was uncontained. It, it appeared to be a very contained situation, and um, I, I didn't see the need to uh, overcomplicate the incident at that point. Um, it was a vehicle fire involving a series of batteries, so we didn't. We did consider at one point uh, dry cam or metal X, um, but like I said, it didn't have the properties of, of a uh, metal fire. And I was also concerned about the limited supply of product that we would be placing on this vehicle and the pressure in which the flame was coming out would have probably blown any product off that we tried to apply. And we would have had to put people much closer to the vehicle in order to do that. You know, a lot of times car fires, they're started, you know, maybe inside the car, maybe it's someone who left something in there. Um, in this case, I think the catastrophic failure was the thing that was, was the main key that made it so hard. Uh, once it got so hot, the, the reaction and the battery packs, it just was a chain reaction and it really got so hot that we couldn't control it. So cooling it was a, was a big deal. Um, but yeah, I, the main thing is, is make sure you have a water supply. Any kind of electric car, if there's any kind of compromise to it, even if it's just on fire, always think about if you can't get it out, you know, or if it's not going out right away, if things aren't going like they should, either, either call for more units or, or look for other ways to get a water supply if there's no hydrant nearby, like a water tent or something like that. Take this vehicle out of the neighborhood with a good water supply and put it on the freeway or put it out the Ortega Highway or some other place where water could be an issue. For an incident commander, he's really going to have to think ahead and, uh, you know, design a water supply that's going to sustain that water fight or that firefight to get that fire out. And with the tow truck drivers, just making them cognizant of the fact that this could reignite. So, and there's going to be more that's going to come out, I'm sure, on this, you know, and so I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, if, if there's any more information from the investigation that's being done. One other lesson I learned in there after doing the research and looking back on it, and I'm grateful that uh, we didn't have an issue on our incident, was the fact that Tesla warns all responders that any vehicle involved in a fire, any Tesla vehicle involved in a fire, could become electrically charged over the skin of the vehicle. In other words, all components of the vehicle should be considered energized at that point, and no one should make direct contact with the vehicle. Outstanding. Thank you, uh, Steve and Dave, for taking us through that call. Uh, pretty interesting and some uh, crazy stuff that we're starting to experience with all these uh, alternative fuel vehicles and what have you. Uh, so those are, those are gonna be the wave of the future. So we, we definitely want to lean in there and, and learn from those as, uh, as often as we can. So um, we'll be taking a break uh, next week for Thanksgiving, and then we'll be back at the end of November with an in-depth interview with retired uh, wildland fire defense planner, George Ewan, who's gonna talk us through his 47 years in the fire service, uh, for which we're very thankful, George, that you've spent the, the latter part of your career here at the OCFA. What a what a great resource and uh, advocate for the fire service and for wildland fire safety in our community. Um, you're certainly going to be missed, um, but we, uh, we really are happy for you to move into retirement. Um, want to just end on a note about Thanksgiving. You know, uh, we are, as a nation, um, as a state, as a county, 
um, as an agency, uh, so incredibly blessed. And this is that opportunity in the year that I really enjoy. We get an opportunity to spend a little bit more time with family and really count our blessings. So with that, I wanna encourage you and wish you uh, having a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, until then, take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon.